0: This week on Dig Me Out.
1: the next now, right, now, right now.
0: With your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Minichi.
2: Jay, we're back again with another episode, thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, before we get into this one, we have something to mention. A friend of ours who was on the show um, probably about a year and a half ago, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Eric Mahoney's documentary, Brainiac, Transmissions After Zero. That's coming out on DVD as well as um, iTunes, Amazon, all the places you can get it, uh, uh, video on demand. February 21st, that's the date. They're holding a show, a party if you're going to be there in Brooklyn, New York at the Market Hotel. It's going to include Man or Astro Man. They're they're headlining. And oh, then cool. T- Tim Harrington of Less Savvy Fab is DJing. Which is cool. He said he's actually in the uh documentary and he sings one of the songs at their um one of the concerts they put on. So if you haven't had a chance to check it out, this will be your opportunity when it goes on to uh D V D or video on demand. You can watch the trailer. It's up at uh I believe Vimeo. And um, you know, we're fans of Brainiac. Great opportunity for more people to learn about this band. And um, yeah, so wanted to mention that. Go check it out. That's, and if you want to, uh, you can go to IMDb. There's a Facebook page for Transmissions After Zero, Instagram. And you can go to BrainiacFilm.com is the website for that. Jay, this week, though, we have a 12-month anniversary pick from someone we know well. He was just here in December. Cruising along it? in his convertible. <laughs> along the PCH. Mr. Steven Buzinski is back with us. Welcome back, Steven. Thank you, gentlemen. As <clears> always. Was pleasure. it a convertible?
1: No, it's a Highlander hybrid SUV. <laughs> oh,
2: okay.
0: I was oh, I was man. hoping it was like a Jaguar mo- e type or something like that. Like I was from- hoping it was like a 90s Miata. <laughs> That you just you just like thrashing it. Like just I wish. It up. I
2: wish. <laughs> so previous episodes that that you picked, uh Local H Pack Up the Cats. That was that's twenty eighteen. Twenty nineteen, Stanford Prison Experiments Recreation. Then you've also joined us for a number of round tables. Um uh, what was it, Uh, a couple of new album episodes from 2016 and 2019, and then Third Eye Blind and "Silver Chair," sophomore slump episodes. So tell us and the audience what album you have selected for this episode and why you picked it.
1: All right, so this time around I went with Red and Clear uh, by Giant's Chair. And as you mentioned, I was just on the the new album Roundtable back in December. And they just had the new record, the reunion record, come out. Um, so I, I like when you uh, pair the uh, the old reviews with a band that has a current album out. I've always liked that on the show. So I thought I would follow suit, and we would talk some talk some '90s giants chair.
2: Excellent. Yes, I like how I like how this worked out because we got a little taste of it last year, and now we're we're going full bore into this into this band and into this uh, record. So for folks who don't know, well, let me ask you first, Jay. Were you familiar with Giant's Chair, either before this episode or before the last one?
0: Yeah, I became aware of them just recently. Um, probably, what was it, like July when the record was first released. Um, they came on my radar. I didn't even realize at first they were a 90s band. It took me a minute to read about them. that I realized that uh, this wasn't a new band, which was was a pretty cool revelation um so i'm familiar with the latest album but i hadn't listened to anything from the 90s and hadn't heard of the band before this year gotcha
2: i i had not heard of them until they were brought up at the episode and then i listened to the record after that and then steven suggested it so getting into the whole discography now which little history of the band here
0: history of the band
2: Um, this is their third record It's or this is their first of three records I should say Red and Clear came out in 1995 Purity and Control came out in 1996 those were both on Caulfield Records which was a label out of Lincoln, Nebraska uh, not a lot of bands that are well known I would say that the probably in terms of what people might know Christy Front Drive they had a couple records out on Caulfield and um, Molly Maguire put out a 7-inch. Molly Maguire was a band that ended up... I think that was the first... Their album, Lime, is the first album that Ken Andrews produced outside of Failure. And then there was a couple other ones that I... There's a Mineral 7-inch that Mineral, came out. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't really recognize most of the other bands that were on there. But I'm sure people who are more familiar with like the indie emo scene... In the mid '90s, would probably or mid or early to mid '90s would probably uh, recognize some of the names. Um, the band themselves from Kansas City, although the the band members were from different areas, they ended up. Some of them were from different areas, but they ended up in in Kansas City. It's a three piece. It's it's actually the same three piece now that it was, from my understanding, back in the '90s, which is um, Paul Ackerman on drums. Brian Cullum on bass and Scott Hobart on guitars and vocals. And they formed originally 93 with the seven inch and released a seven inch hot boy. And then they were together up until 1997 when they put out a split with, um, a band called Ethel Reserve, And then they were, you know, done at that point and then got back together. They, I guess they had played some reunion shows throughout the years. Uh, but the record, you know, twenty-three years—that might be the new record now, from distance between albums. Twenty-three years, because that breaks the failure uh, length. Ah, mm. uh, that's true. I'd have to Google. I'm not going to do it right now, but I'd have to Google uh, longest time between records, because I'm not sure uh, who else would be there. We did get some comments about this record over at patreon do want to mention also welcome to sean our newest two dollar patron hi sean jeremy amend over at patreon he said nice pick (laughs) steven four tracks in i decided it's a worthy album well that's not that's only four songs you can't you can't do that Uh, there's a little bit of fat to trim but i and i'd love some more vocal melodies but everything else is too good to hold any of that against them. Apparently, there was quite a bit of a math rock boom in Kansas City in the '90s, so I probably have some other Kansas City bands to dig dig out too. Whitney Beeler says this is a worthy album. I really like it. It's very much like Burning Airlines, Shiner, Rival Schools, Life and Times, math rock, I suppose. Oh, we're gonna do a math rock episode, aren't we? At some point, Jay.
0: Yeah, we do need to do that because right, I need got to our get clear on the definition.
2: Yeah. Nobody's ever well-defined it for us, so we're going to have to uh, to figure that out. All right. Let's get into talking about this record. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Red and Clear by Giant's Chair.
0: Uh, I like the – I mean, yeah, it, it – it conjures all those bands that were mentioned. Um, there's a, you know, similarities in terms of the style of guitar playing, um, some of the tones. I, I think this band sounds a little bit more, um, kind of, there's a lot of space on this record. You know, it's, it's, it sounds big, like from a, maybe not a tone standpoint, but like just the way it's recorded. Um, there's a lot of separation. So it kind of gives it the, at times, um, kind of an epic sound, but not from like a lot of distortion necessarily. So I think they distinguish themselves from a lot of the other bands that would kind of fall in this genre in that way that, you know, there's a little bit more, I guess, texture at times. I like how the vocals used here. He's not, um, it's not the focal point of the music, but I think they do a really good job of using it to help, support and make some of the passages you know a little bit more melodic a little more interesting but i think some bands that kind of fall into camp with a singer like this they tend to over um focus on the singer just because it's vocals i guess and I, i think they do a good job of like keeping the vocal kind of nestled in the mix so it all works together really well um some really I think that it's interesting to know that they're a three-piece because there's at times um, some pretty cool guitar um, stuff that's going on that, that really sounds like two guitars, um, either playing notes that are a little bit you know, dissonant or sometimes they're locked up and it gets big, but it definitely sounds like a two-guitar band on this record, which is uh, uh, interesting to know that they're only three-piece. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's mathy. It's got, you know, some... A lot of movement. It's got a lot of different um dynamics to it. It can get pretty heavy and chunky. You know, they do a lot of palm muting kind of style, like riffs, big chords, and then, you know, something that's a little bit more chimey. And then, you know, drum and bass wise, you know, they do, you know, cool dynamics where you know the guitar will be kind of be like an up tempo driving riff and then the drums and bass will pull back and they'll be like in halftime or they'll switch and the drums will be drums and bass will be you know fast and the guitars pull back so you know it's big sounding it's epic in terms of like movements and changes almost sections almost get to be tool- like um, maybe in some ways um, with enough melody that for me that um, is important to pull me along through the record so it's kind of checks all the boxes for me in a lot of ways First,
2: I'm there with you this when I put this on and, and the first song started the the what you said about the space and their use of the loud quiet dynamic but not just in terms of like vocal or, or verse chorus but in terms of you know where they're placing vocals and using that to play around with time in terms of time signatures and and structures there's a lot going on here that I think at first blush you're like, wow, this is really mathy, um, but it it doesn't get like super complex in terms yeah. of I'm not like totally confused as to what's going on there. Yeah. It's more I would say it's more on like the Shiner jaw box, you know, that end of it where it's still got a sense of song. It's not yeah. showy in in way that some math rock can be all about just stacking crazy polyrhythms and all this stuff that's like technical ability and there's not a ton of like musicality. Whereas I feel like this band, and it's interesting because I, in hearing this band, because of the way his vocal is, I can hear the crossover into like emo Mm. with, whereas I don't hear that in Shiner. Like Shiner to me is just a straight up like indie rock alternative. I mean, they have a little bit more swing i think in some of their stuff and maybe that's also what differentiates them whereas this is more of like a going from a quieter um more restrained sound to like a pummeling you know really heavy sound that uh yeah. it didn't didn't quite draw the same
0: comparison yeah vocally this gets pretty expressive at times. And I think Shiner tends to be more, and even other bands like Swerve Driver that you could bring into the conversation tend to be like vocally maybe a little bit more controlled and muted. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I definitely like the emo reference. I, I think that's what I was responding to with it. Yep. So
2: what, what was your initial uh, Stephen? what was your initial draw to this band? Well, like uh, what did you respond to originally?
1: Um, I will tell you, but in one sec, just because of what you guys were saying, I, I wanted to um, share with you something I was reading about the band. Um, in terms of where to file them, when you said you could, you could hear the emo creeping in. Made me want to read this. Uh, it's from a zine from '97 uh, that a friend of mine uh, does. It used to be called Hanging Like a Hex. Uh, he still does a label called Hex Records. Um, but he uh, he did a little interview with Scott and um, and they were talking about the band. And uh, he says, I still couldn't quite figure out where to put Giant's Chair. Emo without a crybaby, math rock without the nerdiness, rock and roll with intelligence, punk without the punk? It's a tough call, but I got a strange answer. And then Scott went on to say that it seems like a lot of bands in the quote unquote punk genre spend a lot of time and energy refuting the fact that they are rock and roll. And they almost try to cover it up. To me, rock and roll is really pure. And when I say rock and roll, I mean ACDC, Back in Black, because that's the quintessential rock record to me. Mm. And then uh, they went on to talk a little bit more, uh, and he said, I would even consider ACDC soul music, because for me, when I put that on, the same thing physically happens to me as when I put on James Brown. And that is, man, I can't help but move. That, to me, is what rock and roll is. Mm. So I don't know if that helps give a little insight as to where he was coming from and maybe why it is kind of so hard to to put in any one category.
0: Yeah, that was really well said. Yeah,
2: that's fair. I mean, it's hard as the creator to sometimes, I think, classify what you're doing, especially when it comes to music, because you have your own influences, whereas someone who's coming to it from a perspective of listening to different things you go oh well i hear a little bit of this and i hear a little bit of that like you're bringing your own history to it so
1: so okay so anyway uh you had asked uh how i kind of came to to find this um i'm pretty sure it was a, a later issue of the same zine i just mentioned hanging like a hex he put out um this really really Nice full color print issue of his 100 favorite records of all time, and did little write-ups for all of them. And I'm pretty—he put both Giants' Chair full-lengths from the 90s in that list. And when I was reading one of those entries, I'm pretty sure that's where I learned um, that Kaven had covered a Giants' Chair song, and it was a song that I knew very well. And I was like, I just didn't know that it was a Giants' Chair, or yeah, that it was a Giants' Chair cover. So that was pretty shocking to me. Um, and it made me want to dig into Giant's Chair without a doubt because Caven was a big one for me. So they were they were on my radar and then I, I realized this is kind of funny. And I, and I hope any music nerds listening can appreciate this. but uh, the indie uh, the used indie CD section at a record store that I grew up going to for years and years, called Dearborn Music, um, was one of those like CD sections that had very little turnover. And and very little new additions yet. I scoured it every time that I went in, <laughs> um, and the next time I was there after learning about Giant's Chair, I realized that there had been a Giant's Chair CD in there for years. And like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, I flip past this thing every time I'm here. And then, but now all of a sudden, I knew who they were. So I was stoked, and I picked it up. And then I came to find out that even in this is probably in 2008 or nine, even in 2008 or nine. The CD itself was going for like astronomical amounts of money on, on Amazon and eBay, and that was before I was privy to discogs. I don't even know when discogs came to it's be. It's twenty
2: five dollars on discogs.
1: Yeah, yeah. I want to say like its median value on discogs is like thirteen eighty eight. Currently, there's still a copy for sale on Amazon for seventy three fifty eight. Very possibly the same copy that was for sale in twenty oh eight. eBay forty eight fifty. Um, so weirdly enough, it's somehow a CD that still retains some value. Um, so I was extra stoked when I found that out. Um, but that's how I kind of came to find the album was, was just reading, reading about them through the zine, the cave in connection, and then uh, eventually got my hands on a copy.
2: So there's something I want to address that, um, Whitney brought up and he said, when he said, uh, or not Whitney, sorry, it was, it was Jeremy brought up, he said, um, Probably have some other KC bands to dig out because if there's some sort of math rock boom in Kansas City in the 90s. And I realized when checking out Giant Chair's discography, there's a compilation that they're on called Kansas City Misery, and it's all bands from Kansas City. Also included on that, which I didn't know that all these bands were, along with Giant Chair and Shiner from Kansas City, Season to Risk, which, okay, they fit in there. Molly Maguire, that's one we've mentioned – and um, boys' life—they're more of a guess emo, but again, they would fit right in with that. And then there's a whole bunch of other ones that I'm not familiar with, but there's a whole compilation of Kansas City bands that apparently are not not far off. So there is some sort of scene that happened in Kansas City, and maybe we need to do a dig in your scene on Kansas City in in, in the nineties because oh, apparently there was something yeah. going on there where That'd everybody. Everybody decided to play in 5-4 instead of 4-4. Four, four. They, they, <laughs> uh, they, they were channeling their rush through their, through their punk rock. I, want to, I do want to address um, something that Jeremy said with regards to um, Fat to Trim. I didn't feel like... I mean, it's 10 songs. I didn't feel like it was exceptionally long. For this sound... Like this is what I want this band to sound like. Like I want there to be. I mean, and and honestly, most of these songs are not. Like, there's a couple. Was it like four or five minute long songs, and then the rest are between. Well, there's I think one's four fifty seven. So for the most part, they're between like three and a half and five and a half minutes. For this kind of band, that seems to make sense. Like you're going to get some extended guitar parts that are going to be and there and some you know riffin going on that I, I want some musicality out of a band like this. Did that bother you at all, Jay? The, the length of songs or the, or the structure or anything like that?
0: Well, I think it's, I mean, it's only 45 minute record. Yeah. Some of the songs get to be, you know, over five minutes. I think for music like this though, that's fine. Like you, you want to hear the journey um, with a band like this uh, for the most part. I think what what I reacted to more was this by the second half of the record um, some of the grindy you know chuggy guitar riff stuff starts to get a little old like if I just start to feel like oh I've heard this already you know earlier on the record there was a song that was like this but I think maybe a little better than this one um, so I just found myself you know there's four or five songs towards the end of the record that I don't know if they're necessarily any better or worse it's just a little mundane by that point like i kind of get the point of the band and i'm into it and then by the second half i'm like okay well you know do i need the, do, do i need another 5 minutes on that's kind of like one two before it so i felt more that way it was just um i liked when when they break it up and they get to more of a place it's like uh like soaring guitar um, chords and like more down strumming and things open up a good example is like mother sister our mother brother sister lover like towards the end of that song they should switch to this other chord style and rhythm style and it's a nice break from the kind of he- heavily rhythmic kind of thing and it just opens up and it feels like a breath of fresh air There was more stuff like that towards maybe the end of the record to just switch it up a little bit. Um or even, you know, there's like Weed R- Weed Rose is a good example of like the tempo is just faster. So you kind of break yeah. out of that that groove-oriented kind of chuggy thing. And that's a nice little spot towards the end of the record. So I think for me it's it's a little bit more just variety, um, and or Feeling a little bit of the formula towards the second half.
2: Yeah, I I, I get you because it's there's I a, 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 a I don't say brash, but uh, there's a harshness to some of it that by the back half I could see where you would start to on, maybe on like the slower like more so like I guess on the last track where I felt like there was a lot of. I don't. I don't know if it's like higher end guitar stuff in terms of frequency, but yeah. it. 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 Like, I was done by then. Yeah, um, sure. But I agree with you. Like, "Weed Roses" is a really cool song, and it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're playing a lot faster.
1: I think that song is the catchiest vocal hook on the album too. Uh,
0: I would agree. I don't know. If, yep. I don't know if way down. I it. Out or not. Way down in the open field. Yeah. Section here. Yeah.
2: Yeah, although, I mean... Jeremy brought it up, getting into the vocals. He said, I'd love to hear some vocal melodies. You know, this is one of those bands where, like, I don't always need, like, a killer hook with a band like this. Yeah, it's nice to have a couple of songs where, you, like you said, with with um, Weed Roses, is as, as long as there's, like, competent vocals, and there's more than competent here, but as long as the the singer's voice complements what's going on and everything sounds good. like I'm pretty much gonna be on board with with the vocals, yeah, like unless he's just not capable, which we've heard before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know I, I I like
1: too that the guitar provides so much melody where the vocals might not. And I think it's it's a sign of of him knowing the strength of his voice like and you mentioned it right off the top Jay. like when and where they utilize the vocal i think is is very expertly chosen and i feel like any time that the vocal can get too shouty or too yelly some sort of crazy guitar melody swoops in and immediately like kind of gives me that fix that melodic fix that i'm looking for i don't know if you guys had the same experience
0: uh i did yeah i thought they the two played off of each other really well um, and, and again, like I think vocally it stands out from the other, um, some of the other bands and it's more, it's not maybe like his vocal tone or anything. It's just how it's used. It seems to be a little more thoughtful than some of the other bands we mentioned, um, in terms of like what role it's playing in the song. And it's not just about like delivering lyrics, you know, right. Um, it's actually another, it's another instrument. Anybody else uh, on the song Kick the Can? Anybody else hear um, Pearl Jam's Animal during that oh. intro? No, no, I definitely didn't.
2: Uh, yeah. Vaguely, um, I know what you're talking about because it's like...
0: I, I expected doom, to doom, hear doom. the vocal start singing one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> I was like, what the? This is really similar. It's it's close, but it's not, like, the right
2: key. So that's why I didn't make the instant connection. But I know what you're yep. saying. Um. <laughs> that's funny. It's in the ballpark. It's in the ballpark, yeah. Yep. What did you think, Jay, of the guitar tones? Like, I thought... I liked the fact that this was not
0: overly heavy. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. Um, no, to... It's was kind of in the, my original point was that, you know, s- go back to Shiner again, where their guitars get so heavy, which is awesome. But sometimes when their guitars are that overdriven and big, they suck up all of the space. Um, I think they find a tone on this record and then a, um, just a mix overall, the way things are panned, that there's a nice amount of space in there. And then these guitar tones are, they're just sitting right in the middle where they should be, you know, and if you've got a decent system and you crank it up, you know, the bass starts to come through nice and, you know, their clean tones are good. You know, I, I think it, it also it just helps this band stand out just a little bit more. You know, it's not a like huge triple rectifier, big Marshall kind of guitar tone, which is kind of cool.
1: Uh, Jay, I gotta disagree with you on one thing you said there. One of my critiques of the record is that I don't think there's enough space for the bass. And I mean, you did did mention if you're listening, you know, on a on a decent system. I I did a headphone, couple headphone listens, and then a stereo listen and a car listen. And in all of those scenarios, I just I often found myself wishing that there was more room for the bass um, from a production standpoint, and then from a songwriting standpoint, I think that the band could have benefited from utilizing it more because he's he is playing some cool stuff at times and i think if the guitar would get out of the way and let the bass you know kind of take the stage for a minute would have been a nice uh dynamic break because there's really there's just this thing hits you pretty hard all the way through
2: yeah is that a tone issue just the the tone of the bass that it needed to be you know i'm thinking of like the way the Jawbox mixed their bass it was it had a lot of
0: Grit on it. This bass has. I don't hear any grit on this bass. This yeah. Is a pretty, pretty standard. I think it's
1: a. I think it's a tone and a mix issue, in my opinion. Yeah. From a production standpoint, um, it's yeah just not anywhere near as powerful as the other two instruments. Uh,
0: I would not. Uh, I would not mind them turning guitars down a little bit and turning the bass up. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. As a former bass player, I'm always up, up for more bass. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I'm here I go I'm not a fan of this snare sound on this record I'm I able knew to, it I I'm knew able it. to tolerate it but man when you it's right on the edge for me
1: I understand <laughs> I understand that it is divisive it's it's it, it's something that I love and I, I get into this argument with so many people but I at this point I, I fully understand that critique I do but man does
0: it work for me for some reason <laughs> it's awful tin canny <laughs> I don't think it's like that. It's not. It's right on the edge for me. Yeah, like it's, it's okay. I, we've listened to the records where it crosses that line, and I just it just kills me. On this one, it's just it's okay, but it, it is to me.
2: I think it depends on the song in a lot of respects and how the like overall song is structured. If it's quieter and you can and you hear it more. I think when it's in the mix, it doesn't
0: stand out yeah, as much. Yeah, I agree. It's the quieter sections where you really... I mean, it's loud, too. <laughs> it is a loud snare um, that you really notice in. Um, from a guitar standpoint,
1: uh, I know you guys both play to some degree. Like, and, Jay, you mentioned it sounds like a two-guitar band, and it does, but I'm, I'm wondering if a lot of the stuff, like he's playing these big giant chords is he's just kind of like bending and stretching that pinky all over the place to catch some of these high notes that he's, that he's um, crafting all this, all this melody with.
0: Um, I think so. There's a lot of little bendy things going on too, which, um, I'm not sure if he's using a bar or if he's, you know, his hands or what, what, but yeah. And there's, There's definitely some 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 of those notes, maybe it's the pinky stuff going on where between I'm guessing a lot of this is double tracked. Between the two guitar the way they're tracked, they're just a little bit off and it creates this weird, like, but cool dissonance. You're like, ooh, that was those two weren't on. What what was going on there? Like it makes me want to go back and figure out like, is it the bass player playing a weird note or is the two guitars just Yeah, doing some kind of like weird melodic thing that's just a little bit off and makes it sound you know, a little jittery, but, um, yeah, the guitar, the guitar work is, is is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I love it. It's, it's what drew me in about the band. And and I I was thinking about it while I was doing a headphone listen on this thing. Do you think, do you guys think that somebody that loves hum would have an interest in this band Mm cheerily from a guitar point of view?
2: Yeah. Although they don't get quite as bombastic as hum does with their two guitar really fuzzed out, you know, Wall of guitar sound on 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 their you know records. I think I think you're, it's going to appeal to people who are into like the DC stuff, like Shudder to Think and Jawbox, and yeah, you know that's where, that's where I for a long time I thought that Shiner was a DC band because they were on a label out of DC, and I, I didn't know that they were from Kansas City. So
0: this guitar stuff is more to me. It's like. More sharp, like cutting. Um, whereas I think of Hum as just kind of a wall of fuzz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, big, big, huge sound. Just more like Siamese Dream mix. than yeah than shellac. But I, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're a band of or a fan of guitar, I think this this album is a, is worth listening to. Yeah,
1: I mean, he's Period. just he's just got some massive chords going on all over this thing.
0: And I think the pl- I don't want to, um, uh, you know, we already talked about the new record, but, um, I, I, it's really interesting to go between the two because the new record has got, a, it's just, it's a little different. Like you hear it slightly more mature, I guess it's a little bit more song oriented guitar wise. There's some new things he's bringing to the table. It's, um, definitely more song oriented it's interesting
2: well that's going to happen i mean i mean this is their debut record that we're talking about they were pretty young when they made this and then they had 20 you know what was it between between those records uh 24 years between the debut and prefablon so got some got some opportunities to pick some things up along the way. I don't know if what they were doing band wise in between, but, uh, yeah, there's definitely some development. Um, so here's the thing. I was thinking about where this placed in terms of 1995 when it came out. Um, it seems like, you know, we had a debate about emo versus indie versus punk, that kind of stuff, or, or the discussion, I should say. Um, I totally see this fitting in with sort of the underground that's happening at that time with bands like Mineral and and American Football and and you know Jimmy Eat World's about to put out their first record soon and there's a whole thing happening with underground emo bands Christy Front Drive and blah blah blah. I could hear this on like this would probably get like a college radio like specialty show play. I don't know. I don't know that it even would make like, I'm thinking back to WFAL, our radio station back in 1995. I don't think this would have made it into like regular rotation. It's just a little too, it's not quite uh poppy enough, even for being an, you know, an indie rock band. Like it's not far off from Jawbox, but Jay Robbins can craft a hook. Even if yeah. it's a really bizarre hook, he knows how to pull those things together. Um, so I don't know that it would have, I don't know that this could have broken through in any way, even though it's a really interesting and cool record. Um, I don't know that it made it, they probably got played in Kansas city on like their college radio station and stuff and probably got hit some college radio stations around the country, but that's probably about it.
0: A bit, you know, band I'm thinking of that. We didn't talk about, somebody mentioned, um, rival schools you know, is Quicksand a good comparison here? Hmm. They're a little bit more I guess you can hear more of the hardcore roots in them, but Yeah. Yeah. Just learn, maybe even just in terms of like commercial potential is that like kind of the ceiling for a band like this?
2: Yeah, cuz this even this is leaning more on the the post-punk side of things, like it gets because they're a three-piece and and they Play around with that loud, quiet dynamic, it reminds me a lot more of even like like the Chicago stuff that was like like the, like I mentioned shellac, like mm. gets into that end, which is really not commercial in any way. Yep. So, we're, yeah. so it doesn't diminish its quality. it's just, you know, could this have been bigger? I don't really think I think this probably was what it was, and that's about it. Have you checked out their second record, Purity and Control? Yeah, I have.
1: Um, I've always liked this one better. Um, I feel like that one took a step back in production. Um, it, it sounds, if you were to ask me without seeing any information on the records, I would have sounded like Purity and Control came before Red and Clear. Um, it is a good record. There's some, some great stuff on there. Um, there's a track where a, a short story that Scott wrote kind of gets incorporated into the song so there's like a bunch of spoken word um, and they get pretty experimental in that way but yeah for some reason and I I re-listened to Purity and Control today just to make sure that that opinion still held true because I've kind of always had that opinion but I mean it's not to say it's it's a bad record by any means um, but I think yeah the production alone kind of has always turned me off from it a little bit just made me when I go to listen to Giant Stride, would rather hear them, you know, sound bigger and more full.
0: Mm. That's kind of what I when I went into this record, I expected that. You know, I was like, oh, this is gonna be an early record. I bet it's gonna have a really tinny kind of not not great sound. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised that this sounds as good as it does.
1: Same, especially considering it came out of Whoop Ass
2: Recording Studio.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs>
1: recorded 1294 and whoop ass
2: well you know where else who else uh recorded there or who that was no please tell me that was mike and aj Mogus, who are uh lincoln nebraska they're responsible for like the whole saddle creek sound uh that's cursive cursive. silver scooter um get up kids um lullaby for the working class the faint bright eyes that was i think that they went on to to open like a new studio after that i want to say that was not called whoop ass although that's Uh, presto maybe yeah in lincoln nebraska yeah and then presto is where like everybody recorded um the you know for like a long time in the in the 2000s azure ray and the faint and all their albums there and bright eyes and um you know people traveled there to actually record with them at that point Desparcitos and all those bands so yeah
1: that's funny i would just based on like having looked at that in the liner notes i just would have been like yeah that's probably some like startup studio that you know started and stopped in kansas city
2: and you know that uh, those first two cursive records are not far off from the sound
1: that's true that's very true
2: so that makes sense because that's those are like 97 ish 90 whatever 96 97 somewhere in there so Yeah.
0: yeah it's all connected jay it's all connected of course it is Every uh, week we learn that. We learn our lesson there. Yeah, we do. Uh,
2: before we get into our final rating, uh, any guesses on how the poll ended up? Did they, I don't know if anybody looked at it. It ended just before this episode. Well, actually, it ended on Sunday. Never mind. It
0: looked like it was trending. It was uh, Sunday. We're yeah. the album, right?
2: Yeah, so 86% were the album. 14% Dang. better EP. No votes for a decent single. So Way to go, Steven. <laughs> Hell yeah. We're going to keep track of who has the most votes for Worthy Album in terms of uh, well the greatest percentage. And then at the end of the year, that person will be declared uh, king of Dig Me Out.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do we get a, a Burger King-style king crown?
2: Uh, you get a McLaren GT
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: goodbye to my miata <laughs>
0: yep from now, from now stephen o'con from his mclaren can you guys hear me okay I'm in the mclaren <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh jay where the album better ep decent single where do you land
0: oh uh, i'm right between an ep and an album this is tough um I, i'm gonna go with an album i, I think i'm I'm a little nitpicky um, on the stuff that I I was critical of. Like I said, there's no songs in here like I'm going to turn off. Um, There's no like obvious stinkers um, album tracks, but even at 45 minutes, this band gets a little monotonous. So um, maybe if it was 40 minutes, I'd feel better, but that's nitpicky. I'm going to go with an album.
2: I am too. Um, I would just drop the last song and make it a nine song record and it would be forty minutes and I would be yep. happy. Yep. So that's it for me. I like this record a lot. It fits in perfectly with my various angular rock bands from the nineties yep. that I like. So Steven, even though you had some criticisms, uh are you still gonna join us at a worthy album or will you be at a better EP and drag this thing down? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I can't do that. It was it was a fun exercise for me to put it under a critical light. Um, this album has never once bothered me in any way, shape, or form. I put it on, I enjoy it, you know, no questions asked. But when I did actually sit down and, like, take notes on the tracks and think about it from a more, um, you know, critical lens, it really, I, I found a lot, that I was surprised that, that I would... Uh, kind of like pick apart, but at the end of the day, like I said, when I put it on, I just I really I enjoy it. I take the journey. Um so, you know, yeah, it's it's a worthy album through and through. One other thing I wanted to share that I pulled up about the band is a very short review that I will that I will share. It just says giant shit, chair-
0: shit sandwich. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's the all time greatest <laughs> short review. It just says uh I've seen the light giant's chair are tight dreamy and mysteriously ominous with creative music and a layout reminiscent of a Charles Bukowski book. This band is amazing. Stop reading heart attack zine and seek out giant's chair immediately. This music will fill the empty void in your life.
0: Nice. I like the dreamy. That's part of this record that I didn't anticipate that. I think I liked uh, quite a bit and I don't think it's, the new record streaming at all I mean it's all it's I think a better record overall but that aspect of this record was uh, surprising to me and I enjoyed it he
1: uh, he also hit the head uh, the nail on the head with the Charles Bukowski reference because that is very that is very accurate in my opinion and I also wanted to comment that the Scott got really into um, letter presses and so a bunch of their stuff um, like the purity and control CD that I have um the cover is completely in Braille, and the whole thing was done on a letterpress. Yeah. Um, and then there was, like, multiple versions of the CD. Like, one of them has the letterpress, I believe, and then one of them is just, like, a regular uh, printout, which is what I have for Red and Clear. But they were always super creative, and apparently they would always, like, make, like, little, little unique, like, these sort of stuff to, like, have on their merch table, like, postcards and, and photo, like, photo books and stuff.
0: Uh, I dig that. I'm a designer, so like I saw when I saw Purity Control, I was like, What's going on there? Is that embossed? (laughs) Like, sure enough, yeah, I guess it is, right? Yeah, 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 it's really letterpress to actually have embossed the cover. That's not that's not cheap. No, no, it's super, it's (laughs) yeah,
1: it's super cool. So, yeah, they're just such a rad band.
2: All right, gentlemen, it's time to wrap up. What do you got going on, Stephen, musically? What's up with uh, your new band, and what's up with Hollow Earth? Uh,
1: my new band is um, working on, slowly working on the songs for a full length that we hope to at least get recorded this year. That uh, we do have a demo out now. Uh, it's on Bandcamp. Uh, Thread Puller is the name of the band. Negative One is the name of the EP. And then Hollow Earth is uh, Hollow Earth's on a bit of a hiatus right now. Uh, I've been. Uh, Going through creative struggles, the the mid-30s creative rut here. Mm. Uh, haven't been able to write lyrics for quite a while, but I, uh, I have this other band that I also do out of Michigan. It's called Tharsis Day. It's like a chaotic, uh, metal-ish, hardcore band um, in the vein of Converge, Botch, Coalesce, uh, that sort of stuff. Um, and out of nowhere, I, they, both Hollow Earth and that band have full lengths in the tank just, just waiting for me to write lyric so i've i've been under uh i've been under a lot of stress not being able to churn out any material but as of 2020 i'm gonna knock on some wood right now uh, i've had a little bit of a streak going so i've been writing for tharsis day um so i hope to i hope to get that done and knocked out of the way and then get get to that hollow earth
0: record so so what are you writing about in your mid-30s oh you know jay i'm not gonna put that out there right now you've reached your um
2: you've reached your billy joel stage because billy joel wrote uh his record uh what was it 93 the rivers what was it what's that called i forgot the name of that album when i'm a billy joel fan and then he was like i couldn't write any more lyrics so he wrote a classical album classic you know classical music so maybe you should write some classical music
0: I'll get right on that. I'm sure that'll... Just read Lord of the Rings, like, a hundred times, and you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just get
2: obsessed with some author. But Lord of the Rings is already done, and Anne Rand's been done. So you need to pick, like... like Go with, like, um, like a current like thriller writer, like Vince Flynn. Like, I'm going to write about police chases and... Uh, <laughs> and private... Or you could do the whole, like... Uh, Lee Child, he does the Jack Reacher out uh, books that Tom Cruise makes into movies. You could do uh, a whole a whole suite of songs about Jack Reacher. Maybe then they would play the songs in the movie. See,
0: Tim's there you wow. go. I'm working. guys want
1: to? You guys want to? You guys want to manage me as well? Dig me out,
0: management. Have you thought of a concept record about the Inquisition? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, you have to pick, uh,
2: pick an obscure historical event and write a whole album about it, like Titus Andronicus, or some band like that, or the Decembrists.
1: Uh, the Crusades joking,
0: with a modern tilt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all joking aside, Earth's uh, first record is actually based on a novel um, called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Are either of you by chance familiar?
2: No, I, no. I don't read really.
0: She can't read. <laughs> can't we, recommend- weren't, we weren't far off with our recommendations.
1: Uh, no, no, not terribly. But no. uh, yeah, can't can't recommend that one enough, though. Uh, that's a that's a great read.
0: <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna pull through this. Yeah, I know. We I'm believe really. in you. Thank you. I appreciate that. The best of the lyrics are in your 40s. Don't worry. <laughs> <You>, yep. <yeah. laughs>
2: Write what you know, and, and what you'll know is back pain.
0: <laughs> and if you can't write anything, just start writing kid songs. That seems to pay pretty well. Yes, I want to hear hollow earth kid songs.
1: <laughs> Holy shit. Do kids want to hear hollow earth kid songs? Yes. I have a feeling <laughs> they don't.
2: <laughs> okay, we're way off track now. Uh <laughs> If you want to uh, find out uh, what Steve is up to, you go to his page over at digmeoutpodcast.com. It has links to all the episodes he's been on, plus links to his uh, stuff that he's working on at for music uh, that currently uh, does have lyrics, although the future uh, music might not. We'll find out in the next episode of Dig Me Out. <laughs> no. Um, I want rem- to remind people, uh, Patreon is where you go to support the podcast. Join the union as little as two bucks a month, like our newest patron Sean did. And if you like, leave us some positive feedback over at Apple podcasts. Jay, what's the other place that there are other places that people can leave us feedback.
0: Uh, I don't know if Spotify accepts feedback, but I don't think on Spotify and see if you can at least do a rating. But we recently, um, had a notable nineties producer. Give us some feedback on, on, um, yeah. Apple Music that I would love for somebody to go offset <laughs> with a with a good review if you could. Thank you.
2: Yeah, it wasn't
0: exactly positive. <laughs> it wasn't. No. No. Oh no. No. Apparently, um, everything we say is facts. There are no opinions here. So, uh, whenever you're wrong, then about things that are obscure that really are not documented from the '90s, then some people get upset about that. So.
2: Oh no. We try our best. <sighs> okay. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
0: Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.DigMeOutPodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.
2: Jay, I have a question. I'm going to yes, stop. Sir. Why did you text me, please take your car in for an inspection this week? <laughs> I thought you were my wife. <laughs> you should do that too. <laughs> I mean, maybe I should. Okay, thanks. I'm actually close to a, an oil change, so that's a good uh, good reminder.
0: <laughs> um, we did get some but Patreon. Steven, you, you should too. I just did actually. Get that Miata in there. Get the oil chain. Yeah.
2: <laughs> those 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 90s uh, you know, little sportsters, they need some tender love and care.